how to figure out what's really important. Now, we heard that scripture read so well by Elish. Thank you for that. And we all know if we have any kind of relationship with God, we have any kind of understanding of the Bible and the teachings of Jesus, we know technically at least what is most important. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's relatively easy to figure out. There's a lot of other things in life, though, as in what does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for my week, my year ahead? What does it mean for you and your context? Not always so easy to figure out what exactly that means. And so I'm hoping today that as I share a few things with us and we have some discussion together, that we'll find ways to interpret this important scripture, these important principles, these important teachings of Jesus to, into our own lives in a way that matters and makes sense. And now and again, we have things in our lives that help us to rethink what's most important to us. And I had a few things that happened to me this week. And so the reason I'm actually, one of the reasons I'm sharing this with you is because of some things that happened to me. Now, the first is the sad and glorious news about the death of Kirsty Burt that Danny mentioned earlier on. And some of us knew uh, Kirsty and know Adam and the family. I'd known them for a very long time. And it's sad that Kirsty has died so young uh, no question about that. Uh, it is also glorious in the way that Adam has shared about it in Facebook posts and elsewhere about how grateful he is that his wife died faithful to God and uh, the, the joy that they've had in their married life up till now. And when you hear about someone you know, especially someone young dying, it does sort of make you stop for a moment and ask yourself what's really important in life. And the second thing was hearing about another chap I know called Dinesh. Some of us might know Dinesh and Caroline George. You've had the role of leading the South Asian churches for quite a long time in the Indian subcontinent. And, and he's been hospitalized with COVID, has been very sick, not, not died, but been very sick. And his wife, in fact. That makes you think again, you know, what's really important? And the third thing, which I, it, those first two things might sound most more normal, but the third thing that happened to me was a bit unusual, at least for me which was that I was out praying on Monday. Uh, that's not unusual, but I was out praying on Monday. And on Mondays, I try to have a longer prayer time. So I get myself ready for the week. And I had a longer prayer walk through the woods near where I live over here. And I was walking through a familiar part of the woods and I was well into my prayer walk. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you. And I don't want this to sound too weird, but I felt like I heard the voice of God. Have you ever been sort of stopped in your tracks by sensing that God kind of wants to have a word with you? That's how I felt. I'm walking along, not, I'm not expecting anything, and I, I just felt God saying, stop. Stop walking, stop talking, and listen to me for a minute. And what I heard him say to me was, "What what's really important to you, Malcolm? What's really important to you, and are you living towards what is important to you? Are you living what's important to you, and are you conscious of what's important to you, why it's important to you, and are you really thinking about it? And it just it stopped me in my tracks, and I, I stood still for a while, listening, and then started talking a bit with God, and, and it's been on my mind all week. What's really important? What, in the way I live, in what I'm doing, in my plans, my hopes, my vision, my dreams, the way I live my daily life and what I'm hoping for for next week, next month, next year, what really matters? And if I know what really matters, am I, am I devoting 
the right energies towards those things. And so that's part of the background to what I wanted to share today, especially as we come towards the end of a year. And I know you and I probably can't believe it's getting towards the end of November, but already we're coming to the close of 2020. And though some of us may feel like, well, I'm glad to see the back of 2020, you were careful because you don't know what 2021 holds, do we? So, but nonetheless, as we get towards the end of the year, it's not a bad idea to take some time to contemplate what really matters now and going into next year. And so today, what I'm hoping we will do is figure out at least some of the principles that will help us to, to work out what's most important and how to live according to what's most important. But let me, before we get into some examples, let me first say what I would suggest are some unhealthy ways to decide what's important. Because it's important to understand how not to do it as well as how to do it, I think. So when Jesus answered this man about what's most important and or discussed it with this person who was talking to him, what's most important? And the teacher of the law uh, knew the answer to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. These things uh, are well known. Um, sometimes we can get the right answer, but from the wrong angle, by, by which I mean this. So essentially, the most important thing in our lives is our relationship with God. So it's a relationship. It's not just a, a set of rules to follow or doctrines to believe in, right? It's a relationship. And relationships are based on trust and on love and on understanding. And they're not. And so it's important to conduct a relationship according to uh, healthy ways of conducting that relationship. So let's say I'm trying to figure out what's most important. If I figure it out from a perspective of guilt or perspective of fear or a perspective of what makes us makes, makes me feel better, that's not going to go well. So imagine if Penny and I are having a conversation later on this afternoon, perhaps over lunch, and, uh, and I'm trying to figure out what's most important on the basis of the fact that I feel guilty about mistakes I've made in the past, and believe me, there have been many. But if I'm only trying to please Penny on the basis of my guilt, what kind of relationship is that going to be? Or if I'm trying to figure out what's most important to Penny and, and how I should live on the basis of I'm afraid otherwise she might hate me or leave me, that kind of negative perspective is not going to make a healthy relationship. Or if I'm trying to figure out how to please Penny because it makes me feel better, like I'll do this or that for you because it makes me feel good. Again, that's not a healthy relationship. So what we're trying to do today is not figure out what to do out of guilt. Like I ought to do this. I ought to pray more. I ought to share my faith more. I ought to, ought to, ought to, ought to, right? We're not, not out of guilt, uh, not out of fear. Like, oh, if I don't do this for God, he's going to spite me and he's going to exclude me from the kingdom. And I'm, I've, got, I've, got to do, I've got to behave myself. We're not trying to do it like that. And we're also not trying to live the Christian life by what makes us feel good. Well, you know, I just want to feel good about me with God. And, and it's very us focused rather than God focused. We're not trying to do it that way. We're trying to do it in a healthy way, which I hope the examples we'll look at today uh, will help us with. Yes, I'm going to break this into 10 groups. Okay, 10 groups. So there'll be five devices in each group. Uh, so there might be more than five people, but five locations uh, in each group. And I'm going to ask each group to look at one scripture and essentially one character for a few minutes and discuss some questions which I've already put in the chat box, but I'll put in again just so they're there. 
and then we'll come back together and I'd like to have one spokesperson for each group just share perhaps one significant insight from your conversation. So we're going to look at David briefly and the scripture there is Psalm 27 verse 4 and all of these uh, scriptures are about the one thing right what's most important and David says in Psalm 24 verse 7 uh, the the one thing I ask from the Lord this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord so what's going on there what's that one thing that matters most to him then we're going to also another group will have a look at uh, the rich ruler in Mark 10 who was told one thing you lack so there's one thing there what's most important and then another group will look at Mary and Martha in Luke 10, 41 to 42, which is where Mary and Martha doesn't understand that only one thing is needed. And Mary's chosen what's better. Then another group will look at John 9, which is the blind man who says, one thing I know, one thing I know. The most important thing is I know one thing. And then one group will also look at uh, Paul, who says in Philippians 3, one thing I do. So in each of these situations, there's this one thing, one thing I want, one thing I know, one thing I do, there's one thing. So what we're asking in our groups together is we're asking these questions. What is the important thing that these people knew or learned from the situation where the scripture we're reading? What's the one thing they knew or the one thing they learned? Secondly, why is that important? And thirdly, if this was important to you, how would it show up in your life? Uh, group one. Is there anybody from Group One that would like to share? We were volunteered. <laughs> go on, go for it, Danny. Um, wow, it's difficult because everyone's shared so deeply and nicely and, and from the heart. And it seems like lots of people have been on some big journeys. And it's been quite a standout scripture for them. Um, uh, and uh, what do I say? I didn't get a chance to share myself. Uh, I'm not, I'm giving it some thought, but I think like most people, I've got to talk things out to understand, if that makes sense. One thing what we, what um, we kind of deliberated on a little bit was like, it's a, it's a scripture where it's a continual thing. Mm. It's not a, right. I don't think David prayed this prayer once and then I never, never again. I think David prayed this prayer um, all the time. Mm because he, wanted, he knew that it was a daily battle to, to dwell and to think on. Uh, and, that, and what my wife actually thought, um, give me an insight, and in the sense that dwell is not in terms of being in a place like heaven, but actually it's dwelling on. A bit like, I guess, when, when, when Mary pondered in her heart at the fact that she had Jesus in her room, and, and just the major thought and, and hope and future which she must have had a thought on. I think, and I think that maybe that's what David did. I think David, he asked that I can, can continually seek to dwell and to be with God and to, uh, and to think about being with him. And he wanted that to outweigh any other world desire, I guess, mm. if that makes sense. And that's a continual fight. We all know David was a fighter physically in every way. So I think, uh, you know, we, we all need to recognise that actually... We sometimes the beauty of the Lord and gazing on it sometimes fades away, and it fades away into the background. And it's um, and we have to bring it into the forefront of our minds by pondering and gazing in our thoughts on the Lord. Mm. I think okay, <laughs> Go for um, it. I think you also went on the same scripture, which was uh, Psalms twenty-seven. <laughs> um, 
about uh, the dwelling. So uh, uh, what I what I what I um, took out from others who spoke about um, the whole scripture and how how is important and how it can show up in in our lives. It's uh, like if we dwell um, in in the house of the Lord, it will protect us and also we'll be mindful in terms of how we interact. Um, we be mindful in terms of how we, we do things in our lives, in our daily lives, how we interact with people, and um, it'll keep us safe and, and, and shielded from, from, from the outside world and all these things that are happening. So that's like what I what I took out from, from discussions because I think I was the only one that didn't share. So yeah, and and uh, I think like, and how, it, yeah, so the part of how it shows up in our lives, it's, it's basically, how we interact with the people around us, you know, with our families, our friends, uh, worker, I mean, colleagues at work, uh, people we meet on a daily basis. So, yeah, that's, yeah, Good. that's my attention. Oh, thanks for sharing that, because I think that's very much at the heart of it is, is the way that we interact with God then affects how we interact with everybody else, right? So how we are with God is what sets us ready to be out there. Um, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. Um, a couple of thoughts, and then let's go on to room three. A couple of thoughts. Firstly, um, my, my Christian experience, and I read this elsewhere, someone said that it's easier to teach a church the Bible than it is to teach a church how to worship. And I think it's also easier on a personal level. It's easier on a personal level to learn the Bible than it is to learn how to live a life of worship, which is why we need to help each other and is why we need to spend time dwelling upon God. As uh, Becky, as you said, dwelling is different. Dwelling is, the word dwell here in the Hebrew is the word used when a husband and wife set up home together. They move in together and have their own home. It's a, it's a new place. And it's a place uh, that they they value and and love. And this is what we're talking about here, uh, dwelling on God's beauty. When's the last time you spent some meditative prayer time dwelling on, focusing on, contemplating the beauty of God? The beauty of God. The word beauty there can be translated as favor and pleasantness as well. Uh, it could be a good time of quiet with God, couldn't it? To dwell on that, his, the things that are beautiful about him, his holiness, his mercy, his long-suffering nature, his loving kindness, his integrity, his justice, his completeness, his perfection, his wisdom, and, and the list goes on. When we, when we dwell there, dwell, um, focusing on that, contemplating it, how might it change us to be the kind of people God can use in the world out there. You'll notice he's very active. He's asking, seeking, dwelling, gazing. This is very conscious. He's conscious of this focus time with God. So good, one thing. All right, uh, what about rooms three and four on the rich ruler? Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. So room three, anybody want to speak up from room three? Yeah, hi, this is James. All right, here we go. Uh, so, uh, yes, yeah, so our room, we, we talked about uh, 
how uh, in, in order to basically follow those commandments and love uh, others, that uh, it, it was important. The important thing was that we didn't have something like riches uh, that we elevated above God, uh, that we really worship as God in our lives as opposed to actually God. Um, and so it was impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven uh, through man's ability. Uh, and, uh, and, and you know, he was instructed to sell everything. And it was clearly, at least at that time, we don't know what happened later in his life, but at that time, um, that he was dejected at that news, and you know, apparently because uh, that he had um, that he valued that he valued the riches above uh, uh, above God or above the kingdom of God, um, and uh, and as far as in, in our lives, uh, basically that that's uh, that's the way we think that it should be uh, show up in our lives is that our following the greatest commandment to love uh, others uh, as as he's loved us um, is uh, is is it, it trumps everything else that uh, and and so we can't have something that we possess material possession which may be very easy for those who have accumulated great wealth that we we may have we may uh, elevate that above god excellent Thank you very much, James. Thank you. Uh, and thank you all of room three, room four. Anybody want to speak up for room four? I've been um, volunteered to. <laughs> Go for it, Lola. Yes. So, um, so again, on the same scripture, Mark 10, 21. And um, what we saw, we tried to stick to the questions, to answering the questions. And we felt that what this guy would have learned was that um, his money had the potential to be an idol in his life and that um, the fact that he had wealth it didn't mean anything jesus said go and sell it and give the money to it, the money to it, so money to it, so did to it, so did on his standing uh before god it didn't influence anything and it was important we felt that this was important um for him and for us to to learn this because it helps us to have the right perspective of money. And we had, you know, a discussion around times when we've been in plenty, we've been in want, and we concluded, we ended up on the last question on how this would play, play out in our lives. And that's that money then has its rightful place. We understand the rightful place of money. If we have it, if God blesses us with it, great. If we don't have it, it doesn't influence our relationship with God. It ceases to have any power to be an idol in our lives. And it, it helps us to be content regardless of, of what our bank balance looks like. So that's um, that was what we got out of that. Um, just one thought uh, before we move on to room five and the next scripture. Um, I think one of the things that I see in this passage that challenges me is the idea that there are times when we're called to another level of surrender than we feel comfortable going to. And although this is a one-time thing that happens in this man's life, it is also, I think, in the Christian life, one of those things that you, you surrender everything when you get baptized into Christ. We all do. But then you realize as you go through the Christian life, there are some other things that you now need to surrender. Maybe they're things you've accumulated on the way. And 
surrender is the only way to develop that faithful trust in God, that the, the kind of relationship we see a Abraham had with, with God, where he had that total surrender. And then God was able to use him to bless multitudes of people. So part of the way that the Dublin Church and the Watford Church and you and I are going to be a blessing to multitudes of people is by continuing to have the courage to surrender. I'm in a situation at the moment, nothing to do with directly Watford or Dublin, where I'm I'm in a situation where I'm going to need to do a little bit of, have some confrontational conversations, let's say. And I really don't want to. I hate conflict and it it's going to be messy and stressful, but I've got to surrender to that experience if God wants me to have it. So that's something for us to think about is surrender. All right. Um, rooms five and six, Martha, uh, the Lord said you're worried about many things. Few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary's chosen what's better. Will we not be taken from her? Luke 10. So anybody from room five like to comment on that? Yeah. Um... Thanks. Because I talk a lot, so they uh, they uh, point their fingers at me. So. Okay, just bear in mind, I have a mute button here, okay? <laughs> yes, yes, it can do that. But uh, yeah, it's it's a Martha versus Mary in my mind. You know, well, anyway, um, we talk, we 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 had a great discussion there, uh, and it's, it's it's a great story, and it's easy to 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 see the the the. Uh, the one, thing. The, the one thing and the difference between the two characters, you know, uh, the contrast, that's the word that I want to say. So it's like practicality uh, in your relationship with God versus relationship. So it's, it's like doing things for Jesus. It's not a bad idea versus he's staying at his feet, you know, and, and, and we saw that he's staying with Jesus and make the most of it because it will give real security in life a real security mm-hmm. and and staying at jesus jesus's feet it should be reflected in our reactions on a daily challenges in life so one one person uh, expressed that it's so easy for us to 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 focus on the practicality as human beings especially men if there if, if the, the roof is leaking the men's reaction straight away grab the tools go up there and fix it you know but some but women would think and make a list of the stuff that you need to to get first <laughs> the kind of way but anyway i know that's a sample but uh yeah so we, we realize he's staying with jesus will give real security in life and it, it will be reflected in our reactions on the daily challenges so yeah so okay so obviously the same martha and mary and uh, what was the important thing they knew or learned uh, we have three points here. The first is the Word of God. Uh, why is this important? Because the Word of God is obviously uh, our guide. And uh, so that's important to us. How would it show up in our lives? Well, we can be up and down, but we can always rely on the Word of God. That's the first point. The second is, uh, which I really like a lot, it's your own need first. It's to see what is priority. What is priority for you? Um, so why um, <laughs> the example was like put your um, your safety mask first before putting it to someone else and um, and uh, and the other point I have on this one is like anything can fall apart in time and we cannot hold on to it forever so we can always count on Christ. The last point um, it's 
to not get distracted. And uh, why is that important? It's our goal is the eternal life. So we need to keep focus on Jesus. And uh, and uh, one of the brothers was making something, <laughs> a funny comment, which is, if Christ was visiting us uh, or visiting me right now, I hope I would stop what I'm doing and I would make sure that I'm focused on him. Um, because obviously this time can, uh, it's a given time, so we have to make the most of it. That's pretty much the idea. Uh, something that I wanted to to mention myself as well about this uh, word is that Christ was pointing out the good choice of Mary. He was just saying to Mary that she, she did the right thing by listening to him and by being focused on him, but he wasn't necessarily saying to Martha that she was doing something wrong, if you know what I mean, because sometimes this is what we might be thinking. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's it. Thanks, Guy. Thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, it, and by the way, with all of these scriptures, there are, you know, five to ten points we can make, and, and there's so much truth within all of them. But uh, so we're, we're seeing some things here. For me, um, just for the moment, a thing I would like to perhaps emphasize is that what Martha was doing was not a bad thing. It was a good thing. But what Jesus said was in this particular situation, there's something better you should be doing. And often in my life, maybe in yours, the good is the enemy of the great. Or the good thing gets in the way of the really important thing. And so it's important in our, it's important in our lives as we look at what we're doing and what we're involved in and how we're living, that we don't just ask ourselves, am I doing good things? Because a Christian finds it very easy to do lots of good things. But the question isn't just, am I doing good things? The question is, am I doing the most important things? Whatever that might be for you in your context, as opposed to me and mine. So just a thought there. Right. Um, the blind man in John 9, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, they're accusing Jesus of being a sinner, the, uh, uh, those who oppose Jesus. Whether he's a sinner or not, the blind man says, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. So there's one thing there. So that was groups seven and eight. So would someone Good. from room seven like to speak up? Good morning, everyone. For those who don't know me, I'm Geraldine. I'm in the Dublin church. Thank you for this exercise, Malcolm, which has been really um, very instructive. And there are so many parallels as we go through the different scriptures. For our group, as we discussed the scripture, the two predominant words that came up were firstly, clarity, and secondly, transformation. Mm. Um, in the sense that God is God, it's black or white, and there is a clarity there that is brought to bear. And this is also linked with the fact that the man was able to see and had a eureka moment. So there was the, the, the clarity there in terms of how one should be. And in terms of transformation, um, as we transform and the influence of the light is in our lives, as we push away the darkness, which is another parallel, we, we change. And one person mentioned that at times the clarity we have in terms of who is saved and who is not, etc., can bring a certain sadness or weight. On the other hand here, we see that there should be a lack of accusation. There's no accusation here, um, mm. but that our, the, the, 
the transformation that's wrought in our lives can be seen by others who don't see. And through that, our lives, our example and how we live can bring uh, clarity and hopefully a transformation to the lives of others. So clarity and transformation. Thank you very much. I like that. Thanks, Geraldine. That's fantastic. OK, uh, roommate, who'd speak for roommate? I speak as for roommate. Um, so it's very interesting. Your first question was, what was the important thing they knew or learned? And only looking at verse 25, it was kind of clear that the one thing he knew, he, did, he said he did not know whether he's a sinner. But the, but the one thing he didn't know was he was blind and now he can see. So that kind of sort of looks fairly simple. But then um, John actually read a bit later, um, John Watkins, a bit later on in the chapter, the blind man actually makes clear what he learned, not just what he knew. And he says, what I learned is that this guy that healed me can only kind of come from God um, because no mere man could have done this. Um, so what he knew and what he learned was two different things. Um, and the most important thing actually to him was that he, he got to learn that Jesus was the son of God, or was, was divine. Um, and then why is this important to us and how would it show in our life? Uh, I think uh, we, we talked about looking beyond the miracle and to where the miracle came from. And the one important thing is not to, to just look at what we see, but at what, what's not visible and what's behind it. Um, and, and, and to that, uh, how it shows up in our life is, 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 to, is to not just talk about the, the things of God, but of the God of things, if I can, if I can put it like that. Um, that um, John shared a, a really good point where he said that some people believe in prayer, but they don't believe in God uh, because they see the effect of prayer, but not consider what's the most important thing is actually what's behind that prayer being answered and the effect of that prayer. Um, so that's in summary what we uh, discussed and learned and, and then uh, how we show up in our lives is that uh, for us to talk about God rather than just the things of God um, more. Super. Yeah, thanks, Stefan. Uh, that's that's super stuff. Um, again, so many things you can take from a passage like this. I think one of the things that struck me was that it's important to remember the transformative power, as Geraldine, I think, said, of God in our lives and to be able to share that testimony. Because what this man who had been blind is now doing is he is telling everybody, I don't know everything about the guy, but I know my life has changed and I can tell you about that. And so part of the reason that we're able to have a powerful testimony is not because we can line up all the scriptures just right to prove something to somebody. You don't have to be an expert theologian to be able to talk about the power of God in your life. You just need to have the power of God in your life and it needs to be real. And that's a relationship and that's much more powerful in in the sharing than it is talking about doctrine now there's a place to talk about doctrine don't get me wrong but i would say this i think it's fairly i'm fairly secure saying this i don't think anybody was ever converted with only doctrine it's not doctrine that converts people to a relationship with god it is the it is coming into contact with the transformative power and the love of god that converts people 
Now, doctrine can get us right in the right way with God, and that's still hugely significant. So I'm not de de denying that. But it's, it's the power of a transformed life. My transformed life is what will bring people to God, not just I say I have some right teaching. And I think that's something that we see here. And especially, I would say, for our kids. You know, we often, I know I'm a parent, a lot of us here, most of us here are parents, and we worry about, have anxieties about how our children are going to come and know God. I would say the number one thing, more than the significance of a teen ministry or a pre-teen ministry, or being in a church that teaches the right things, more important than that is by our, par our children seeing their parents and their parents' friends in church living a transformed life. That seems to be most significant. Right, I've stopped because we've got to move on to the next and last uh, scripture, which is Paul, who says, uh, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, Philippians 3, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on to win the goal, to win the prize, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So this is rooms 9 and 10. Calling room 9, come in room 9. I can share for group 9. Uh, I think the I'm Vitor, by the way. So I think the important thing here is really understanding that Paul is saying that, and Paul had a terrible past of even killing Christians. And um, so if he understands that, like he was forgiven by God through Jesus, why can't we understand that as well? So like we all have things in our past that we probably regret, uh, but. Uh, God accepted us the way we are, and um, when he accepted us, he wants us to embrace a new character, uh, a new person, and not the old person that we used to be. So it's really understanding that and knowing that your life can move on regardless of what you've done in the past, that you have a new life by God, and he's so merciful that he's giving us a new opportunity to live a different life. So... There's so many good things, and I think everyone has a good example to to apply this concept to. So I think that was it. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Uh, room 10, what have you got for us? Hey, Malcolm. Hello. Yeah, got you. Yeah, have you, have you got me there? Um, yeah, I guess you cannot change the past. That's... That seemed to be the one thing that he he distilled, and much as he might well have liked to have changed the past, it it couldn't be changed. And um, as Vitor said, um, you know, maybe sometimes it can be hard to accept that and to accept the forgiveness that God's forgiven, whatever it might be in the past. Um, I think Paul, um, you know, in the verse he. He, uh, he's very purposeful in, in straining towards the future, in, in, in putting that one thing behind him to, to set his gaze firmly on the future. Uh, and mm -hmm. Paul was very purposeful and uh, driven, which some of us can, some of us can't do. Um, but I guess, you know, we can all seek, you know, that we can, this peace, in, in, in setting the past to rest. Um, and I suppose even if our past has been kind of glorious, it can, it can still define our future and that can be a bit of an obstacle too. So, um. yes. One of the things about Paul is that he didn't, as you say, John, he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't 
uh, trapped by his sinful past nor by his glorious past, you could say. Neither the victories nor the defeats seem to hold him back from continuing to move forward into more Christ-likeness. I would put it that way. The baggage from our past sometimes can obscure what's important for the present. If we're trying to figure out what's most important right now, what's most important right now is not the past. Now, I know we have therapists on the, on the call here, so I'm not, not suggesting in any sense that our past isn't significant or we shouldn't consider our past. It shapes who we are. It certainly does. And so there's a place for that, for sure. But what I am suggesting is that our future growth is not dependent on what has happened in the past. Our future growth into Christ-likeness and what God can do for, with you and I, or in us, is not dependent on what has happened in our past. It's dependent upon the presence of the Holy Spirit in us now to tr transform us like the Spirit transformed Paul, which is a very hopeful but reasonable thing to consider as we think about what is ahead of us and how to prepare for what's important. Paul didn't deny his baggage. He talked about it. We see it there in Scripture at various points. But he didn't let his past, his baggage of the past, get in the way of being ambitious for God in whatever form that might take. And I would hope for you and I in Dublin and Watford and for myself that we would be ambitious for God. That will look different from you to you and me. For some of us, that's a very extroverted kind of ambition. For some, it's more of an introverted kind of ambition. But nonetheless, it, it behoves us as children of God to always continue to have an ambition for God to work in our lives and through us. And Paul seems to understand that. We certainly never fully arrive while we're here on earth, but we can make progress towards greater Christ-likeness. So what have we looked at today? We've looked at a lot, haven't we? I know we have. Uh, trying to figure out what's most important in a practical sense, in a way. Not just we know that we must love the Lord our God with all our hearts, our mind and strength and love our neighbours as self. We understand that. But what does it mean? We've got five characters we've looked at that have shown us at least five potential different aspects of what the most important way of thinking might look like and ways for us to think about what's most important to us now and what might be best to be most important for us going forward. So we looked at David, who knew, he knew what was most important to him, at least at that point, was that God is at the heart of prayer, that prayer is not about me fundamentally or about anybody else. It's about dwelling in the presence of God. Secondly, we looked at the rich young ruler who figured out or learned, learned a lesson he didn't want to hear, but he learned that God is at the heart of surrender. If, we're, if, if God is most important to us, then it enables us to live a surrendered life. Martha, well, she learned that, yes, she was serving, and yes, she was uh, doing her best and doing a good thing, but she also learned that there were times to set aside the good to pursue what is more important. We looked at the blind man who figured out that the transforming power of Jesus um, was what he was able to witness to. And what was most important was that power of God in his life. And if we can witness to the power of God in our lives, that's a really important thing. And last, we looked at Paul, who figured out that God is the one who propels him forward on his ambitions. It's not about his ambition. It's not a selfish ambition. It's a godly ambition because he knows that God has a good uh, plan for him, a good uh, a way of blessing him and using him for his glory. I hope that at least one of these characters might speak to you. Maybe it was the one in, in the group you were in. Maybe it's one of the other characters that 
was not the focus of your group. But nonetheless, I would hope at least one of them would help you and I to to settle on what is more important right now and in the near future. So these five characters could be a way of assessing what's important to you as you go into next year, 2021. You might use, like to use these principles as filters to pray through and think about plans for the year ahead. And that year ahead is um, really is just round the corner, isn't it, right now? So I think that'll be useful. So what's most important? What's most important is to love God and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. But then secondarily, perhaps what's most important for you and me is to figure out what that means for you and me in our personal lives. I hope this has been helpful and thank you so much for taking part in this. God bless.